Yeah. Take it away. All right, everybody, welcome to Torah Studies. We have a very special class tonight. Here we go. Just, there we go. Just chuck that at you. Okay. All right, friends, tonight's topic is the Holy Land, or whose land is it anyway? Remember that show, Whose Line Is It Anyway? Whose line, that improv situation, whose line is it anyway? Well, of course you don't, because I just made it up. I'm kidding. But there is a... <laughs> <laughs> their question about the land of Israel. So today, we will have pretty much one focus of the class. You know, we try to mix things up here at Torah Studies. Sometimes we analyze a story. Sometimes we analyze a halacha, a Jewish law. Sometimes we analyze a biblical character. You know, we do lots of different things and keep it varied. I mean, it's always Torah, study. Um, but tonight, we're going to focus on a controversy. And the controversy is Israel. What's the status of Israel vis-a-vis -vis the Jewish people? You know, it's one of the hot-button topics that people talk about. Legitimacy, Jewish legitimacy. Is it a Jewish land? Should it be a Jewish land? Etc. So what I want to do tonight is explore the classic rationales for Israel being a Jewish land. And then we're going to get into the Torah's rationale for Israel being a Jewish land. So give me, don't give me the Torah rationale up front. I'm going to ask you to, to jump in on this, but not the Torah rationale. Give me, like, what people say. Why, is the, why, should, why should Jews have Israel? Okay, not the biblical understanding. Give me another understanding. Why should Jews have Israel? What's the legitimacy? Make up, make up for the Holocaust. Make up for the Holocaust. Right? Okay, good. What else? Also, even more than the Holocaust, just all the times Jews got expelled from all the countries that they lived in. Good, good. So maybe not specifically the Holocaust, but per Jewish persecution and expulsion in general. Yes. You need a land. You need a homeland, you need a right? Land. You need a homeland. It's good to have. Yeah. Right? It's good to have a homeland. Yeah. What else? What else? Other rationales for why Israel is a Jewish land? Why should it be a Jewish land? Legitimacy of Israel is a Jewish land. Non-biblical legitimacy. Hmm. What else? Historically, it was. Judea and Israel. Okay. Judea was conquered by Rome. Okay. Then, then it fell to the Ottomans. Got it. Um, even, even at the time of the French Revolution, they said, can Jews be citizens? I said, no, they have a homeland. It just happens to be occupied by the Ottoman Turks now. There you go. So you're saying it's an ancient Jewish homeland. Then we have history on our side. We have the David, King David, King Solomon. We have temples. We have artifacts. You dig and you'll find Jewish stuff thousands of years old. Good. Jews have always had a connection to the land. Good. So the historical argument. So we have, okay, so let me just distill what we have. So far we have two arguments that, I've, that I'm hearing. One argument is the safety and security argument, yeah. right? That's one argument. The Holocaust, uh, expulsion, it's the same thing. Safety and security argument. The second one is the historical argument. We've been there for a while. Yeah. It's a Jewish, ancient Jewish homeland. Give me a third argument. Maybe it's, the so, maybe it's so basic. Um, yeah. To observe Jewish law properly, because we don't get to live in a country that... To okay, observe Jewish law properly, okay, that's a little too religious, it's a little too religious. Yeah, but that's, that's a little too spiritual. I'm asking for more like, no, 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 it's good, we're going to get there, to, uh, to religious stuff. But I'm asking for more mundane, more mundane rationale. Well, a, cynical, a cynical rationale, keep all the Jews in one place. Oh, now you're getting dark, Amidana. <laughs> now we're getting dark. Hold on. Hold on. Um, okay, no, I hear you. Okay, good. Okay. But I'm thinking of something else. What else? Give me this. Yeah, right. Exactly. 
We've always had a presence there. Okay, that's a historical thing. Give me one more. There's one more basic one. What, what about contention? for it. What? We bought the land before, yeah. before the whole land became in existence. We paid for every square inch of land. All right, and Mark has the receipts. Mark, he's going to pull them out as soon as he pulls in. <laughs> I'm joking. That's what I was going to say, contractual. Legal. Contractual. Okay, good. What else? Give me something else so basic. We won, we won a lot in the war. Say it again. We won, we won a lot of wars? We won a lot in the war. We're, okay, okay. Adina Malka, jump in. Oh, the UN gave us that land. That's what I'm looking for. And that's what I'm looking for. Listen, not saying that nothing else was correct, but Adina Malka, you and I, we're beaming in for me. Yeah, see that? Boom. We got this. Okay, so here's the deal. Here's the deal. I, I, and I'm going to start, I think, in reverse order than, than what was said, and I want to lay out the classic understandings here. Right? What makes Israel a Jewish land, or why is Israel legitimately a Jewish land? So you'll have three arguments. Typically, you'll ask somebody, or somebody's defending Israel, defending the Jewish state. They're typically going to trot out. I've heard this trotted out. I love that word, trot it out. Picture a horse. I hate you, trot it out, three arguments. Argument number one is 1948. Balfour Resolution, UN, UN decided, fine, good, done, Gandhi. Ottoman, it was under the Ottoman rulership, the British mandate, right? Remember the British mandate? Yeah. Balfour Resolution. Can I quote some stuff? The Balfour Declaration, Balfour Declaration, not resolution, Balfour Declaration promoting the establishment in Palestine of a national home for the Jewish people. Boom, done. And then when the British pulled out, the UN said, hey, we'll give a little bit to the Jews, a little bit to the Arabs. The Jews said, yes, we're in. And that was 1948. The British pulled out in 1948, and that was it. The Arabs said, no, we're going to fight. Okay, that's on them. But the Jews said, okay, good. Israel becomes a state. So many people will say, why is Israel legitimately a Jewish state? Because of because uh, the world body said it said it is the world body stamped it. Correct. Are you guys with me on that? Yes. 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 Okay. Good. That's one argument. That's one argument. May fourteenth, nineteen sixty-eight. That's when it happens, and that's it. Now, 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 as follows. Second argument. Second argument is survival and safety. Jewish survival and safety. It's dangerous historically to be a Jew. I mean, we're running concurrently a course on anti-Semitism, and uh, although you don't need a course to know this, um, it's not always been easy for Jews. And part of the problem is that Jews have many times throughout history, over the thousands of years of our history, have had no place to go. So having a homeland, having a state, having a place to go and to be safe, to be under our own sovereignty is very beneficial. You with me on this? We're talking about uh, uh, legitimacy of, of Jewish connection to Israel. All right, classic rationales for this, classic rationales. So we have, you know, um, we have uh, international law. That's what we'll call international law, a Balfour Declaration, UN resolutions, UN, okay, fine, international law. Second legitimacy for Israel, being a Jewish state, is the fact that we need it for Jewish survival and security. Good. The third rationale that's trotted out, which was mentioned, is the historical argument. Look, look at the history. We've been there for thousands of years. King David, King Solomon, archaeological finds, two temples. Um, you know, you, can, you, you have a very strong historical argument of a connection between the land of Israel and the Jewish people, and that helps legitimize for some, for many, the idea of, Jewish, uh, of Israel being a Jewish state. Okay, make sense so far? 
Yes, sort of. Yes, all right, good, simple. However, the problem is, when you look when you look a little bit closer, using some Talmudic language here, don't mind me, when you look a little bit closer, you realize that all three arguments can be poked. Which, by the way, guess what's happening nowadays? They're being poked, right? Because if the basis of Israel is international law that the country's decided, yeah, or the British mandate, the British decided, who, who are the British? What if we disagree? What if international, what if the international, the international League of Nations decides we don't like Israel? Do you really want to put Israel in the hands of the UN and say Israel exists because of the UN? Really? You know what else the UN is saying about Israel? Right? Is that, is that the foundation of Israel? You understand what I'm saying? Does it make sense? Yeah? In other words, the whole, if the whole edifice of Israel being a Jewish land is because, or being the Jewish state, is because of international law, again in Yiddish, which is synonymous with which is synonymous with we in trouble. Right? If that's the foundation of, of Israel, international law, Gewalt. I mean, that's, that's, like, that's, that's not a great thing, right? There are, there are those who say that the Balfour Declaration, there was no right for that to happen. There was no right, there was no justification for that to happen. Taking land from people and giving it to someone else, internationally, it, it's immoral, it's illegal. Some say that. So that's the basis? That's not a, strong, that's not a great basis. So that's number one. But, oh, hold on, by the way, time out. Time out. I'm spiking, spiking the, uh, the ball here for a second. I'll take my mouse. Pfft. All right, time out. I'm not suggesting that these reasons, that these, that these um, rationales, these reasons, these, these concepts are indeed flimsy. What I'm saying is, or indeed incorrect, what I'm saying is that they are vulnerable to attack from those that have attacked it, and they've attacked these points. I'm just sharing with you what opponents will say. International law... International law. They were wrong. We disagree. Today, take, take a poll. You want to take a poll? Is Israel kosher? Let's take a poll today, right? You want to see what international law say? How, how, UN resolutions. The UN has condemned no country in the world more than the state of Israel. Right? And, and, and you want to base it on the UN? That's a, very, that's a very shaky foundation. Yeah, you can't build a tower on a shaky foundation. Not good business. All right, what about Jewish survival? So say, okay, fine. So forget the, forget the international law. We need Israel for Jewish survival. Can't everyone just agree with that? And the answer is no. Not everyone agrees with that. You want a place to, be, to, to survive Jewishly? Great. Find a nice little city. Find a nice town in the Midwest. Find a nice country that's not inhabited by others and settle there. Find a nice, yeah, find an island. That was a plan. It was a plan. There was a plan. There were alternatives. There were alternatives. So the question is, yo, secure, you, you need a place for security? Why this place? Why this place where other people were there? Right? You kicked out. Yeah, you kicked out people from their land to, 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 for, for your safety. That's not right. That's not moral. That's not ethical. Again, I'm not saying this, although I literally am. Um, I'm saying this, repeating what others say to that claim of you need it for security. In fact, one could argue, security? You're concerned about safety? So you post it up in middle of 15 Arab countries? That's your safety net? That's your security? That makes any sense? Are you kidding me? Are you a sugar? It's like, oh, we need a place where finally we're going to just be left alone and 
No one's going to bother us. Let's just set up shop right over here. Are you kidding me? This is the place to set up? That makes no sense. That make, No, right? I mean, but, but that's what... That's the counter-argument. So what I'm saying is not that these points aren't true, but that they are still open and vulnerable to, to attack. So from the, from the international perspective, it's attacked. From the safety and security perspective, there's an attack. What about from the historical perspective? Well, certainly they can't deny the fact that thousands of years of Jewish history lie in the land of Israel. Number one, they do. Number two, yeah, but history is weird like this. You know, like, where, where did the Jews get it from? The Canaanites. So if we're looking back, if it's TBT Wednesday, turn back time Wednesday, if we're, like, going back in time in our DeLorean, right, 88 MPH, whoosh, yeah, we're going back in time, changing that dial, tweaking it back a few thousand years, Keep on going. Is it still Jewish? Keep on going. Is it still Jewish? Right? So you're saying, we've been there for a long time, and so are others. And you know what? That's the way it works. You get it. You lose it. Someone else gets it. They lose it just because you once had it. I have this all the time. Oh, it doesn't mean you should always get it. That's the, that's the end of that sentence. I have this all the time. My kids will say, oh, I was sitting there to another kid that gets into a seat. And then the other kid's like, well, when were you sitting there? And the answer is, yesterday. And then they're like, that doesn't count. And the question is, is that our claim? We were there, you know, we were there 2,000 years ago. We had some temples. I think we're going to just mosey on back in because we have some, we left some stuff buried underground. I think we're going to excavate it now. I mean, is that the argument? Because that could be poked. Oh, no, but we were always there. All right, there were other people always there also. In and out, people are coming and going. It's, you know, it's a... Uh, it's a, it's, it's a popular place. Here's, here's my point. I, don't misconstrue me. Please don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that it's not legit. That would be highly unlikely for me to take a position like that, right? Highly, just letting you know, highly unlikely that that's my position. I'm just saying that because I've heard this. You go to like a conference about Israel, right? And, and they're saying, you know, Israel and Jews and advocacy, you know, security, we need it after, if, if we ever needed Israel, it's for security and, and, and the, the international law. And it, these arguments are trotted out consistently. And you know what? They're not that convincing. They're just not that convincing to someone who says, yeah, international law, they got it wrong. The history, other people have been there. People were there before you were there. And safety and security, safety and security, find somewhere else. And don't post up right there, middle, middle of people that, that are living there. So what we need to figure out is, because the truth is, if we're being honest, all these reasons are really not the truth. If we're really being honest, it's not the truth. I hate to say it so bluntly, but it's, it's kind of like when you, when you have a real reason but someone asks you why and you come up with a different reason because you're uncomfortable to say the real reason. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Did that ever happen? Yeah. Oh. A present company excluded, right? None of us would ever do that because we're always super upfront and transparent. But like, you know, sometimes like you have a real reason, but then you have the other reason that you tell people because like you don't want to say the real reason. Why don't you want to say the real reason? I don't know. Depends on what the real reason is. Say it again. I'll say the real reason. Adina Malka, I feel like we're ready for it. <laughs> God gave that. Oh, there you go. Guess who says that? 
No one. I was at an APAC conference in uh, the Cobb Energy Center a number of years ago. And rabbis were up there. And they're like, Holocaust and UN and history. And then uh, uh, an African-American pastor from Ohio gets up there. And she's like, the Bible says that God gave it to the Jews. I'm like, finally, someone says it. <laughs> finally, someone's going to say it. <laughs> it uh, all right, it, it took a little while, but someone's saying the truth. But we don't want to say it, oh my gosh. Right. We want to sound like the religious wackos that are like quoting the Bible? Like, that's us? No, 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 no. So we, come, we, we construe all these other stories. But the truth is, the truth is, every other story, which is not the real story, you can poke. Every other story you can poke. Uh, there's one story you can't poke, which is black and white. Now, what if you don't believe in it? What, okay, so let's, let's take the journey tonight. Look, this is all the intro. This is all the intro. Hopefully it's been, a, been, an, been, a, been an interesting and, and uh, engaging intro, but this is all the intro because we're going to get into what the Bible says about Israel, and I'm sure you know what the Bible says generally, but tonight my goal is to go a little bit deeper, to see really what the Torah says about the Jewish connection to the Holy Land. Make sense? You guys with me? Thumbs up if you are. Great. Good. All right. You guys with me? Yeah. All right. Great. All right. Let's begin. So what we're going to do is start from a very interesting narrative in this week's Torah portion. The story goes that um, Yitzchak, Yitzchak Isaac, is living in the land of Canaan, the land that will later on become known as this land of Israel. And there's a famine that breaks out. There's a big famine. There's no food. Big drought. And Isaac wants to move somewhere where there's food. Because when there's no food and you need food, you got to go where there's food. Remember the beginning of the pandemic? You guys remember this? Yeah. O-M-G. Yeah. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Nothing. No pasta. I, no pasta. Right. That was like, yeah. that's when I knew it was serious. Were you here at the, at the Beltline Murder Kroger? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, they don't call it Murder Kroger anymore. Not anymore. Not anymore. No, they rebranded it, Butline Kroger. Um, we know it's Murder Kroger. By the way, every Kroger in Atlanta has a different name. For those that... Oh, Murder Kroger shirt. Oh, my gosh. I have not seen that, but I, I need to look that up. Look, there's the Disco... Am I wrong here? Disco Kroger? No, it's Crocher. Crocher. Crocher Kroger. Crocher Kroger. Um, anyway, all right. Oh, Rabbi, at Auntie Ma, it was the gay Kroger. Okay. It was the gay Kroger. All right. You ha listen, you have all types, all types of Krogers. Kroger is, for some reason, Publix never gets any, any adjectives. Publix is Publix. Publix. It's Publix, just solid. Publix, Publix on ponds. Publix is just so solid. Publix is just, like, consistent. In, uh, in, in Kroger, you get, you get, it's, it's, it's interesting. All right. So, anyway, Kro I remember in Kroger, I was there the Thursday night. When were you there? Thursday night also? When were you there in that, pub, in that Kroger? Before pandemic? BP? Uh, or BC before what, Corona? I'm asking. Yeah. It was that, that weekend that everything was shutting down. Anyway, I... Oh, you have the receipt? Oh, you have the picture. All right. So we're going to show it around. But look, here's the deal. Like, I, I remember going there. I went with my wife. I went with Leah. And we're going there Thursday night. And we're like, we're going to resist the need to like panic buy and we get to the store and everyone's panic buying and guess what happens? 
panic buying. I'm like, I don't know why I need this. And I don't even know if it's kosher. No, I'm kidding. I checked. No, but like, let me just grab stuff. God forbid. No, I'm just grabbing stuff off the shelf. It's like someday we'll need it. Who knows? The world's ending. I'm kidding. That wasn't exactly. Oh, by the way, I saw someone that I know. And he's like, I wasn't sure whether she should panic. But if the rabbi's here with a full cart, I'm going to panic. I'm like, oh, no. But panic. Anyway, so th- that's a true story. So here's the deal. So Yitzchak wants to move to a place where there's food, right? And God tells him, Heyo, do not go to, do not go outside of the land of Israel because you're holy. You're holy and you got to stay in the holy land. So let's read this inside. I'm going to read this inside. This is text 1A. Uh, page 70 in your booklets. If you crack it open, it should be on, yeah, right there, page 70, third page or so. Text 1A, I'm going to read this. So God appeared to Isaac, and he said, and God said, do not go down to Egypt. Well, apparently Isaac was thinking about going to Egypt, as his dad had done in a previous famine years earlier. So God says, don't go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land. Stay put in the land that I will tell you. Sojourn in this land. Stay in this land, and I will be with you, and I will bless you for you. For to you and your seed will I give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. Listen to this. God says, don't leave, don't leave, don't leave. Don't leave, stay here, and I'm going to give you this land. Oh, Sandrine, hold, turn around. Let's see. Literally empty. Oh, my gosh, that's empty. We're looking at empty shelves in Kroger. Okay. Yeah. We're panic. We're panicking. We're panicking, but listen. You know what, Sandrine, if you listen carefully, you know what God said? Don't go down to Egypt. I was saying, don't go, don't go down to Egypt. Don't go that right. Yeah, don't go to Trader Joe's. All right, here we go. Take a look. Take a look. See, Rashi explains text one B. Rashi explains the following: Do not go down to Egypt. Why not? So Rashi says Isaac had in mind to go down to Egypt as his father had done in the days of the famine, right? As, as I mentioned that before. So God said to him, no, do not go down to Egypt. You are as a perfect burnt offering. Remember when Isaac was brought up as an offering? So you're a holy offering. The binding of Isaac, he wasn't actually killed, but he was brought up on an altar as an offering. So, he, so God says, you, yeah, the binding of Isaac, so you are, a perfect, you are as a perfect burnt offering, and being outside the Holy Land is not fitting for you, so you have to stay where you are. So what's interesting here is that we see that there's some measure of, maybe we should do a bit of a question and answer. So again, in your own words, and maybe I'll just play both sides here, but like, why is it that Isaac is told not to leave the land because he's holy and the land's holy, so don't leave the land. So I'm asking you the klutzkasha. Klutzkasha is like the obvious question that no one ever asks. I'll be the one to ask it. I'll take the bait. Yeah, one second. Holy land? Holy land? Holy land, Batman. This is not yet the holy land, my friends. Holy land? You're holy. It's holy. You, this land ain't holy. Hashem's saying it is. Well, ho- but that's my question. Yes. So Linda's like, Rabbi, with all due respect, God just said it is. Yes, but that's my question. My question is, my question is one second. How is it a holy land yet? It was promised to the descendants that they would get it after the exodus, after 40 years of wandering. They're, gonna, they're, gonna, uh, they're going to... What's the word I'm looking for? Sashay? Sashay a word? I don't know. They're going to they're gonna saunter. They're going to saunter into the land and take the land, right? How is it holy now? How is it holy now? What's going on? This which leads us to, a, to the following conclusion. That from the moment 
This is the big reveal. I know we should be doing a drum roll, but just do it inside. Do it internally. Thank you. All right, we're doing it externally also. <laughs> the big reveal here, a question leads us to the answer. Or the question leads us to a perspective. The question is, one second, why is Isaac told not to leave the land because he's holy and it's holy? How is it holy yet if it wasn't given to the Jewish people? The answer is, it was. From the moment God promised Abraham the land for his children, it already was given to the Jewish people. That's the big idea. That's the big reveal. Let's take a look at this black and white in the biblical text. According to the commentaries, this is text 2a. Let me read this one. This is Genesis 15, verse 18. This is what the Torah says. Years earlier, God's co covenant with Abraham. On that day, this is the Brit Bain Abbasarim, the, the covenant of the parts. On that day, God formed the covenant with Abraham. This is before his name changed. Saying to your seed, I have given this land. Look at that. Look at that language. It doesn't say to your seed, I will give this land. Do you notice that? It doesn't say to your seed, I will give this land. It's to your seed, future, I have, I have already given this land from the river of Egypt until the great river, the Euphrates River. Look at the Midrash. Look at the Midrash text to be. God's spoken word is considered like deed. As the verse states, to your seed I have given this land. It does not state I will give this land, but I have given this land. This land is my land. This land is your land. This land was meant for you and me. Is that the song? Did I get that right? Did I get the lyrics right? Okay. So what's the, what's the big idea? This was, the, this was hopefully a big idea, and hopefully it landed okay. Hopefully the, the, the Mars rover landed. So, so the big idea here is that it's, if, if we would have started the class with a question, when did Israel become a Jewish land initially? You might have said when the Jews went in after the Exodus, after the wandering, with Joshua, after Moses passed away, Joshua leads them into the promised land. That's when the promise is fulfilled. And we just learned that according to Judaism, according to Jewish teachings, that's not exactly true. The land of Israel becomes a Jewish land the moment God says to Abraham, this land I've given to you and your children. From that moment, it's to your seed in the future. I have already given it. It's already yours, which explains why Isaac was told already in his time, don't leave Israel, even though there's a famine, because you're holy, but the land is not Israel yet. On some level it is. It, is al it already has some level of holiness and an attachment, it's, it's already considered to be a Jewish land, and therefore Isaac, don't leave the land. I want to. So, yeah. I just want to. So in this case, possession is not nine tenths of the law. Correct. Exactly. Right. Possession. Who's in possession? The Canaanites. Exactly. The, it's it's not there. So from a Jewish perspective, from a biblical perspective, it's a Jewish land, even though it wasn't yet. I mean, I guess you could say it wasn't yet formally assumed. The, the, the ownership wasn't formally taken, but it was already there. And, we, and we're going to figure out, and the, the class is going to kind of parse these two things, like what was initially and what happened when they did go in and what are the two stages. But already there's an association, not just a future promise, but already there's a status. Now, let me share the following with you. Yes. Richard, jump in. Yeah, uh, I understand this, and I know, that, I know the... Uh, the uh, the promise was given to Isaac from Abraham, but yet when you say uh, I don't have a problem with this, but I can see we interpret it that way. When you say the land is given to your descendants, Abraham, the Muslims are descendants of Abraham. That could be a thorn. Right. 
But the, I, I understand that. I understand the lineage went to Isaac. I understand, but still, technically, they said, "Well, wait, wait, we're we're descendants." Right, All right, right. <laughs> yeah. The the. <laughs> I'm with you. So the, the, oh, the way to understand this is that God also clarifies that when I said your descendants, I mean Isaac. And God says to Isaac, when I say your descendants, I mean Jacob. So it's, if you follow the Plinko, if you follow the Plinko chip down the board, the price is right, right? It bounces. It doesn't go either or or both. It goes, it's, it's, got, it's got a certain direction, right? The, the lineage is, uh, is leading toward a certain path. But good question. It's a valid question. But that's, that's, the, that's the angle on it. Okay, now, here's the deal. I want to share with you that based on this, based on what we just presented, which is a big idea, and it, maybe it doesn't seem that big, but again, the premise here is that 440 years, 440 years, before the Jews actually stepped foot in Israel, after the Exodus, 440 years. Isaac was born 440 years before the Jews entered with Joshua, it's already considered to be Jewish land. It's already given. It's already done. This explains a very interesting story that I think most of us are familiar with. Remember the story in the book of Numbers with the daughters of this fellow named Tzalafchad? So there's a guy, Tzalafchad, who has five daughters, no sons, and he passes away. And the daughters come to Moses because they're talking about, you know, Moses talking about like dividing the land and giving, you know, each tribe and each family within each tribe certain pieces of land. And so the daughters say to Moses, look, hey, our father is not here with us. He only had us five girls. And we just want to make sure that our father's, the piece of land that he would have gotten is ours. Like we can take it. He's not here. He doesn't have any sons, but we want to take it. Well, Moses is like, well, I don't know. Let's bring it up to God. And God says, yes. The question is, why was Moses unsure? Yeah, if the guy has no sons, sure, the daughters, like it's a, it seems like a no-brainer. What was the question? So the Talmud explains along these lines, and it's a brilliant analysis. So help cut with me for a second. It means like, follow, follow the logic. What were the daughters asking? They were saying that their father would have received a piece of land, like in the future, when they because they, they weren't in Israel yet. They were in the desert. So, in the few, had he been alive, so at some point in the future, he would receive a piece of the land. Right? He has no sons, only daughters, so we want that piece of land. We want to get that when we go in and he's not here. But what kind of inheritance is that? He never had it to give it. Are you with me on this? They're trying to inherit it, but what are you inheriting? Does that make sense, what I'm saying? Okay, maybe I should back up a second. The tribal, tribal identity goes by the dad. So Jewish identity is the mom, tribal identity is the dad. So to get a piece, it's a patriarchal piece. Okay, so what are the daughters saying? Our father would have gotten a piece and we want to inherit that piece. It's like, uh, with all due respect, right? It's a good question, but he never got a piece. He's not going to get a piece because he's not going in the land. He's not alive to go in. So how can you inherit a piece that he's not getting? Are you with me on the question? That's why, the, why Moses asked the question to God, because Moses was unsure what's going on. This is what the Talmud explains. And what was God's response, essentially, between the lines? God's response is, the land was already given, which means you already own it, which means Salafchad, the father, already had a piece of the land before he died. Are you with me on this? Even before they went in. And he already owned it. Now that he passed away, we can say that the daughters inherited it. Otherwise, he would have never got, it would have never been triggered 
the inheritance would have never been triggered. Are you with me? Any estate attorneys here? I'm joking. Yeah, it's like you have to own it to bequeath it. So if he's not alive, when they enter, he never owned it to bequeath it to his daughters. But the point is that from the time that God promised Abraham and Isaac, they already, it's already owned, so Tzalafgad has it, so he can bequeath it upon his passing, even though it's all that happened before they entered the land. Does that make any sense? Honestly, if you didn't get that, it's also okay. If you got it, extra bonus points. That's my extra credit for tonight's class. Good. If you got it, excellent. So here's the point. Here's the, the, the short point here. The Jewish relationship with the land begins when... Abraham's times, Isaac's times, hundreds of years before they went into the land. Which then sets up the ultimate doozy of a question. And what's the ultimate doozy of a question? That's going to happen with text number four from Rambam. Text four from Maimonides, which I'm going to pull up on the screen, and I will read this. Here we go. Real ownership? Question mark. What a, what a foreboding question mark. Whenever, I don't know why they didn't translate this. I don't know. I don't know. Whenever the land of Israel is mentioned, Eretz Israel, land of Israel, the intent is, Maimani says, the land's conquered by the king of Israel or a prophet with the consent of the entire Jewish people. In other words, when you talk about the borders of Israel, what are the borders of Israel? It's whatever was conquered by a Jewish king or by a Jewish prophet. In other words, when they eventually went in the land. This is called a conquest of the community. A... Um, a communal conquest. If, however, an individual Jew, a family, or even a tribe, but one of them, goes and conquers a place for themselves, even, if the land, even in the land given originally to Abraham, it is not considered as the land of Israel in the sense that one is obligated to observe all the mitzvot there. Let me explain. There are certain mitzvot, as you know, that can only be done in the land of Israel. Yes? You with me on this? Certain mitzvot that can only be done when you live in Israel. Like, for example, the sabbatical year. You know, the Shemitah year, letting the crops. This year is a sabbatical year. So you only do that in Israel. The question is, well, who defines Israel? What borders are we using here? Like, what borders? So the answer, there's, there's an answer in Jewish law. And the answer is, whatever lands were conquered by one of the Jewish kings or by a prophet with the consent of the community, those are considered to be Israel proper. Anything else, even if a Jewish family or even a tribe, a whole tribe, decides to, you know, set up shop, put down a flag, it doesn't, that doesn't make it Israel. It doesn't granted the holiness of Israel to then be obligated in Israeli law. Are you with me? Not Israeli law. In, in biblical Israel law. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yes? That's what Okay, let's, con let's continue. What uh, about the temple? Do we assume that the bird would be in Israel? For sure. Yeah. Yeah. In the same spot. We've... Uh, okay, there may be one or two things there. We'll figure that out. Okay. We'll, we'll deal with it. All right. Mean about, I mean, would that apply to the people, like the, the people of the settlements? Settlements, yeah. So the question about the settlements is, are they, are they in original borders that were originally conquered by Jewish kings? The answer is they very well might be. <laughs> they very well might be, and they are. So that's the answer to that. In other words, you're talking, okay, let, let me just, uh, you're asking a great question, and let's, let's focus on it. So, the, the settlements vis-a-vis -vis the accepted international borders of Israel are similar, not, not the exact geographical place, but similar to the concept of what Imani is talking about. Imagine you have the lands that were officially 
conquered by the Jewish kings once they entered Israel thousands of years ago. So you, you have what's called Israel. And then a tribe, a family, an individual, a few individuals decide they're going to set up shop in somewhere, some other, you know, adjacent. That doesn't make it Israel, right? That becomes a settlement, whatever it is, it doesn't make it Israel. So it has to be formally settled and conquered by, on behalf of the community, that that's what grants it Israel status. Take a look at what he says next. But, but again, your question is, the, the, the settlements, what we call settlements today, are in areas that would fall into those original borders, so they're covered anyway. Okay? Now, let's, go, let's, let's keep on going inside, because Maimonides still has something to share with us. Oh, right, exactly. Well, vis-a-vis modern borders, they're settlements. Vis-a-vis holy land of Israel borders, there would be a different conversation. Now, let's continue here. All of the lands, Rambam says, Maimonides says, all of the lands that, that the Jews who ascended from Egypt took possession of, that means after the Exodus, after the 40 years of wandering, when they went, when, when they went in with Joshua, all those lands were sanctified in the first consecration of the land, the original the OG approach. When by contrast, the descendants of the exiles ascended from Babylon and took possession of, the portion, of a portion of the land, which is after the first temple's destruction, when they came back for the second temple, they consecrated it a second time. This consecration is perpetuated forever, for that time and for all time. Okay. So, you know what? Those are details that I don't think are as relevant as the bigger idea. And what's the big idea here? Again, let's halt cup for a second. What Rambam is saying, is that only the lands, only, so, so I'm going to be very, very specific here. What land did God promise Abraham from the Egyptian river, the Nile, to the Euphrates? That's a very large area of land. Okay, that's very large. That includes lots of area, right? Now, what was actually conquered the times of the first temple or even the times of the second temple was a much smaller place. So here's the question. What are the borders of Israel? What God promises to Abraham or what they actually settled back in the day? You know what the answer is? Rambam just told us. It's what they actually settled. Right? Not one or two, I'm going to say rogue. I don't mean rogue in a negative way. Not, not one or two individuals or a tribe or two, whatever. But the general communal consensus of conquering was Israel, the ancient land of Israel. But, that, but, but it wasn't the whole swath of land. And in halakhic terms, you wouldn't have to, even if you were a Jew living in one of those other areas, you would not be obligated in Shemitah, in the sabbatical year, and in other mitzvot that are only, that are dependent on living in the land of Israel because it's not officially Israel. <sighs> Which begs the question, one second, Richard. Let me, let me ask the question, and hopefully this will make sense. Why are we saying all this? Like, we're, how did we get here? So let me just explain. We got here. Because we started the class by saying that from the moment God promises Abraham, the land of Israel, it's Jewish. And now we're saying, no, 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 no. Only the lands that they actually stepped foot in and conquered after the Exodus, those are the, the lands that are holy. Are you with me on this? Are you with me on this? Seems like a contradiction. Did it happen with Abraham and Isaac? Or did it happen with the Joshua conquest? and the King David conquest, and the King Solomon conquest, and the post-First Temple, post-Babylonian exile conquest. What are we talking about here? When did it happen? What's going on? I'm hoping you're not thinking in general, like, what's going on with this class? I'm hoping it's clear. I'm hoping that the, 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 the narrative that I'm sharing is clear. 
What we're trying to figure out is, when does Israel become Jewish? We have some sources that seem to imply all the, all the way from the times of Abraham it becomes Jewish. Some sources seem to imply that it only begins, and it's limited to, whatever was actually conquered on the ground by the Jewish people when they did the conquest of Israel. So then which is it? Is it ancient? Is it all the way back to Abraham? Or is it uh, more, more pragmatic and more on the ground? And that's the question. So I, I want to resolve it the following way. There's two ideas. There's two elements and that's why we have two different timelines. One element is ownership, like legal ownership, and the other element is sanctity and holiness. Two different elements. Legal ownership, there's a time when legal ownership begins, Jewish legal ownership of the land begins, and then there's a time when the holy sanctity of Israel begins to obligate the mitzvot that are obligated only the land of Israel, blah, blah, blah. So there's two different timelines. When does ownership begin, legal ownership begin? Legal ownership begins from the times, I'm going to be very clear here, from the times of Abraham. Le Jewish legal ownership of the land begins from the times of Abraham and Isaac all the way back to the beginning. Israel is officially Jewish, legally owned, as like a monetary, like a, like a real estate deal almost. But when does it become Israel? For the sake of mitzvot, this mitzvah that can only be done in Israel becomes obligated. That only happens at a later point. That only happens when the Jews actually entered and conquered the land after the Exodus, hundreds, 440 years after the birth of Isaac. So there's two stages. Stage one is legal ownership. Stage two is spiritual, well, practical and spiritual conquest when it becomes officially, um, uh, um, the, those borders become officially Israel and officially have that level of sanctity for the mitzvot. Let me share with you the sources on this. So you see, it may, maybe it's easier if we read it inside. Yeah, perfect, text five. Let's just read it inside. I think it'll make it easier to see it in black and white. This is how the Rebbe explains it. Okay, here we go. It's all from, from, from the Lubavitcher Rebbe. Here we go. Two things occurred when the land was given to the Jewish people. A, the monetary element, i.e. Jewish ownership of the land of Israel, and B, the sanctity of the land. Two different things. One is a, a, a legal, technical ownership, and the other one is sacred, sanctity. So the first element, Jewish ownership of the land, the Rebbe continues, was achieved by God giving the land of Israel to Abraham, uh, Avram Avinu, to Abraham, our, our patriarch. In other words, when does ownership kick in? When does that monetary ownership trigger? Already back to Abraham's times. But the second element, the land of Israel, sanctity, especially uh, the special mitzvot that apply there, that only occurs, that first occurred when the Jewish people actually enter the land after the exodus, after the travels in the desert. Only years later, 400 years after Isaac's birth, 440 years, did Israel have that level of sanctity to trigger and obligate the special mitzvot that are required there, and only those lands that were conquered then and settled then by the community at, as, at large, etc., as we said before. So the, the, the big idea here is that there are two stages. We have the, the technical ownership and then the holy ownership, and those happen at two different timelines. The question, though, is why? Like, why didn't everything happen with Abraham? Why didn't, you know, A, look at A and B, right? Why, in the times of Abraham, did not the monetary element kick in and the sanctity of the land kick in? I mean, wh why not? So the Rebbe also asked this question, and the answer is 
The answer is a classic, classic idea that we've, we've talked about many times. When we think about the difference between pre-Sinai reality and post-Sinai reality, we know famously that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the patriarchs and matriarchs, they studied Torah, they kept the mitzvot even before the Torah was given, which always evokes the question, what were they studying, what were they practicing? And uh, yeah, they had some sort of, whether it was physical or metaphysical, whatever, they had some sort of um, performance of Torah mitzvot, which we actually spoke about a few weeks ago in Torah studies. And I explained then that the difference between um, the pre-Sinai Jewish experience and the post-Sinai Jewish experience lies in one simple distinction. Before Sinai, you, you might have done a mitzvah, but the mitzvah didn't transform the physical object of the mitzvah. So for example, let's say you wrapped tefillin, or, or you did something like that. So you did something that represented your dedication to God, and, and that was wonderful, but the actual item that you used didn't become holy. Nothing happened with the item. Whereas nowadays, post-Sinai, right, what's the whole Sinai experience? It's about the, it's about breaking, you know, remember, um, who's it, Reagan that said, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down that wall? Yeah. That's what happens at Sinai. So at Sinai, right, God says, or whatever the decree is, tear down the wall, the divide that exists between the spiritual realm and the physical realm. Before Sinai, there's two, there's two realities. There's physical and spiritual, spiritual and physical, and they, don't, and they don't mix, they don't merge, they don't mingle. They each have their own problems. It's like their own, their own situation. Yeah, it's like if you're spiritual, you're spiritual. If you're physical, you're physical, and that's it. So you want to do a, a spiritual act, great, a physical act, great, but the two don't, the two don't meet. After Sinai, the two are married. Mazel tov, the two meet. And what does that mean that the two meet? It means that when you take a piece of parchment, you write the Shema on it, you roll it up, you stick it into a mezuzah case, you tap it with a nail or with a um, double-sided sticky tape on your door, you say a blessing on it, you got a mitzvah, we call that mezuzah. You take a coin, you give it to charity, it's a mitzvah. And a mitzvah means now there's holiness in that physical item. It, was, it looks like just a piece of rolled up paper. Nope, it's not. It's a mitzvah, and you have to take it. You have to guard it with sanctity because what happens post-Sinai is that spirituality actually transforms the physical and actually makes the physical different than the way it was. In other words, it takes the mundane and makes it holy, which explains why the Holy Land only became holy after Sinai. I hope that makes sense. Why, we asked before, how come in Abraham's time didn't he get the ownership and the sanctity of Israel? Well, the answer is because Israel being a holy land can only happen after Sinai. Does that make sense? Just checking in. Yes, you with me on the timeline? I'm assuming that we're, right, I'm assuming timeline here. If we break it down, we have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, 12 tribes, Joseph, again, I'm just repeating it, right? Uh, slavery, Moses, 10 plagues, Exodus, splitting of the sea, Sinai. Forty years later, they go into the land. Well, that explains why the land didn't become holy in the times of Abraham. Abraham owns the land. He gets the land. It becomes Jewish land all the way back with Abraham as soon as the promise is made. It's already Jewish land. And that's why Isaac is told, don't leave the land. It's Jewish land, right? Don't leave the land. But the holiness of the land, I know we called it holy before in Rashi, all right. But the holiness of the land, vis-a-vis -vis the mitzvot, that only can trigger when the Jews go in. After Sinai, after the wandering, that's when it could become holy. Why? So why? Because a land can't become holy before then. So why is that? 
Why only four years after? Because, well, they, I mean, they could have theoretically gone in right after Sinai. They were supposed to go in right after Sinai. So if Sinai would have happened, the divide, the mechitza, that, that separation would have been busted, busted open. Spirituality would have had the ability to transform physicality, materialism. So if they would have gone into, if they would do a mitzvah, the leather becomes holy, the parchment becomes holy, the wax becomes holy, the wool becomes holy, the physical coin becomes holy, like the, 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 the matter changes. Right? So going into Israel, doing a mitzvah, changes the earth, makes, it, makes holiness an adjective to land. It took 40 years because they sinned with the golden calf. So they had a, I'm sorry, they sinned with the spies. So they had to wander for 40 years. But the shortly after Sinai, relatively shortly, 40 years afterwards, they're going into the land. And now it's holy land. Now when they go in, the land becomes holy. So again, there's two stages. And I'll just put up, I'll put up the Rebbe's teaching one, one more time so we see black and white, the two stages. Right? The two stages, two things occur. Text 5. There's the monetary element and the sanctity of the land. So the mon monetary element begins with Abraham. The second element begins after Sinai. Why? Because the legal ownership happens initially. The holiness of the, the land becoming holy, holy becoming an adjective of land, only happens, only kicks in after Sinai because that's when it's possible. So if Isaac had never left in the first place, there wouldn't have been that. So Isaac is told, right, right, so, so here's the thing. Isaac doesn't actually leave. Isaac is looking to leave, and God says, don't leave because you were brought as an offering, and this is the promised land, although it doesn't have that level of sanctity, as we were explaining right now. It doesn't have that form, formal level of sanctity then, it's, but it's still Jewish land, so God says, don't leave it. So the message for us, here's the takeaway, and I still have another takeaway after the takeaway, but here's the takeaway number one. Takeaway number one is, that when we think about the question, if we want to go all the way back to our opening conversation, you know, somebody says, you know, Jews are in Israel, shouldn't, they don't belong there. Right? And you're like, no, 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 we do. UN resolutions and Balfour declarations and, and, and survival and safety and history and whatnot. And you know what the real argument is? It's in the Bible. God gave it to the Jewish people. And from that time on, it's been a Jewish land. And Rashi speaks about this in the very first Rashi on the Torah, which I must share with you. Take a look at this one right here. I'm opening up the text here online, but also please flip open to text number 9 on page 80 in your books. Page 80, text number 9. Look at Rashi. Rabbi Yitzchak said, this is the first comment of Rashi on the entire Torah, Genesis 1.1. So the rabbi says, Rabbi Yitzhak says, shouldn't the Torah have started with the verse, this month is to you, which is the first commandment with the Israelites, that the Israelites were commanded? Why then does it begin with, in the beginning, with the story of creation? In other words, if the Torah is meant to be a book of laws, so why not begin with the first law we were given as a people, which is the law of Rosh Chodesh? Why begin with the story of creation, with a narrative? Who cares the narrative? Narrative, shmerative. Why do we need a narrative? So Rashi explains, the rabbi answers the following. This reason is reflected in the verse, the strength of his works he related to his people to give them the inheritance of the nations. So look at this. If the nations of the world should say to Israel, you are robbers, for you conquered by force the lands of the seven nations of Canaan, we will reply, the entire earth belongs to the Holy One. Blessed be he. Don't you remember Genesis? That's why it starts with the story. Right? God created. He created it and gave it to whomever he deemed proper. When he wished, he gave it to the Canaanites. And when he wished, he took it away from them and gave it to us. This is the story. And you might ask, well, maybe he took it away from us and gave it to someone else. Nope. Nope. That's where we come in and say, nope. 
because once it was made holy, it has eternal holiness, and once God promised it to Abraham, it's an eternal promise, as God himself says in the Torah, black and white, this is an eternal promise for all generations, for, all your, for, for your children, for all time. This is clear black and white in the Bible. And so if we're really trying to understand what is the Jewish connection to Israel, what is the Jewish claim to Israel, it's not 1948, it's not the Holocaust, it's not uh, King David, it's God and Abraham, it's God and Isaac, it's God's gift to us. Now, a person might say, sure, sure, but you think anyone's going to listen to this argument, right? You think anyone's going to listen? Who's going to listen to the argument? Ah, we're going to say, no, the Bible says. We say, what's the Bible? So first of all, slow down. First of all, first of all, all the major religions, Christian and Islam, yeah, all take into account the Bible. When I say the Bible, I mean the five books of Moses. So number one, many billions of people on earth are into the Bible. Okay, so that's number one. So we think, like, who's going to listen to that argument? Hold on. First of all, it's true. Can't go wrong with the truth. Second of all, I mean, that is really the foundation of the land. That's what, that's what, what makes it a Jewish land. Nothing else really makes it Jewish. That's, that's the core of it. But, but if you're asking, well, who's going to believe that? Well, slow down. Many people believe that. Number two, if somebody doesn't believe it, at least we should know the truth. At least we should tell our kids what the truth is. At least we should tell Israeli soldiers who are putting their life in the line, and maybe they don't know half the time why they're even doing this. Why are we even here? Can you imagine? So I need to share with you to close out a letter. This will blow you away. I think it will. I hope it will. This is a letter that the Rebbe wrote to then Israeli President Zalman Shazar. This is, what year is this? One second. I wish I had the year. Ah. Okay. This letter will blow you away, and it's on page 83. If you have a book, if you have the, the, the handout, here we go. Page 83, text number 11. This is our final text. This is the Rebbe, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, writing a letter to Zalman Shazar, the then president of Israel. I have received complaints, says the Rebbe. Why do I invoke the biblical land of Israel, the holy land, and the covenant with Abraham in connection with modern Israel? Why? The Rebbe is saying himself, like, I get heat for this. Why do I mix God into the picture? After all, they say, those who fought for the creation of the state, those who led it, those who are currently directed, and its authorized representatives, they all proclaim and take pains to emphasize that Israel is a state founded in 1948. My answer, put frankly, is that their narrative is false. <laughs> yeah. No new entity was created in 1948. Rather, that was the year in which a large part of the land of Israel was liberated. This is, this is fire. This is pure fire right here. Are you with me on this, guys? Yes? It continues. An entity established in 1948, based on the agreement or authorization of the nations of the world, has no strength or justification in terms of an authentic response to the claim, you are thieves for having conquered lands belonging to others, etc., Notice, how do you answer the claim? You're a Ghanif, you're a Goslin, you're a thief, you stole the land. 1948, that doesn't answer the question. So 1948 was immoral and illegal. How does 1948 answer the question? Which is a claim, by the way, that the Rebbe writes decades ago. I wish I knew which year. It's a claim, right, raised by the Arabs, the Vatican, the UN, and some Jews as well. That's why it's so critical to underscore that it is our God-given homeland. 
Look what the Rebbe concludes over here. Now, I do not delude myself into imagining that these just and honest arguments will prevail in the United Nations, in the Vatican, etc. In other words, the Jew who says, no, God gave it to us, look in the Bible, will that really convince the UN? Will that really convince the Vatican? Maybe not. Nevertheless, transmitting this truth is critical for the morale of Jewish youth living in the Holy Land, including those serving in the IDF, for Jewish American students, and for the Jewish youth of other countries as well. And that's the conclusion of the story. And my friends, I have a, I have a line that I try to live with, and that is, you can't go wrong with the truth. Because, right, because it's true. Right? What's the worst that can happen? Someone disagrees? Okay, at least it's the truth. You make up a story, you get yourself in trouble. Are you guys with me? Yes? Yes, you make up a story, suddenly it's out of control. If you stick with the truth, you're on much more solid, sol solid footing. So what happens? So we say, you know, what's our legitimacy? Israel, ah, 1948, ah, Holocaust, ah, history. Yeah, sure, but that's not really the reason. Because all those reasons have, have a, have a tirits, have an answer, have, a, have, a, have, a, um, have, a, have a, um, an attack on them. The real answer. Why is Israel a Jewish land? The real answer is Hashem gave it to us. That's it. That's, I, honestly, we could have summarized the class with that line. Why is Israel a Jewish land? Because Hashem gave it to us. So it took an hour. Yeah, it took an hour. Hopefully it makes sense. And you're going to say, I, 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 but they're not going to believe it. Maybe they will. Maybe they won't. It's true. It's true. I mean, that's the truth. I mean, what else is the truth? I mean, yeah, it's true that something happened in 1948, but that's not, that's not really why it's a Jewish land. That's not why we were living there all the time. It's not why King David was there because of 1948. Right? Go figure, right? That doesn't make It's because God gave it to us, right? As an eternal promise, an eternal, an eternal land. So you're going to say, yeah, but, 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 but who's, going to, who's going to accept that argument? Who's going to believe it? Don't discount. Don't discount the argument. Number one is true. Number two, don't discount the argument. Number three, maybe, maybe just maybe, when we have conviction, maybe it'll inspire. Who knows? Maybe it'll inspire. You know what kids like? I say kids, teenagers, you know what they like? They like a cause to fight for. Yeah? You ever notice that? Teenagers like... Something like tension, like, like something to fight for. Yeah, it's a thing. It's a nature. So what are we giving them? What are we giving, what are we giving Jewish youth? The cause they're fighting for today is against Israel. That's, that's the reality. That's, that's the trend. That's the trend. Because we refuse to say the truth. We refuse. We're too embarrassed. We're too embarrassed. God forbid we should say the word God and Bible, and Torah, God forbid. I'm telling you, I was at this conference. You have rabbis, and leaders, and Jewish, and I'm not criticizing, I'm not mentioning, it's, I'm not, it's, but no one mentions God. And then you have the, uh, the minister, or whatever, the, the pastor, and she says, God, God, it's, it's, a, it's the Jewish, the promise of God. And it's like, that's, all right, here we go. That's inspiring, and it's true. You can't go wrong with truth. So what's the point of tonight's class? Maybe just to reset for ourselves, to kind of recalibrate and recognize what, what's really going on. And also to learn about two, two stages of acquisition. You have the, the, the technical acquisition, the holy acquisition. Sinai triggers the holiness. You know, along the way, we had a, we had a nice ride.
But at the core of it, it's understanding our connection. Make sense? Yeah? Are we going to say it? Yeah. Are we going to hide it? Yes? No hiding. No, let's not hide. Let's not hide. All right. Let's, uh, let's, let's take some questions, Q&A. Questions, comments, clarifications, Linda. Yes? Why do some ultra-Orthodox Jews not believe in the land? It's a really good question. So the question on the table is, why do some ultra-Orthodox Jews, why are they against Israel? It's complicated. Yeah, there's something like that. There's something like, well, we don't believe that we should be in Israel until Mashiach comes. But uh, I, I, I have, I, I don't have, a, I have trouble explaining it or defending it because I don't, I don't prescribe to that. Right, so that's right, the, that's they're they're doing some sort of you know, Mashiach spin on it. But the reality is that it's a Jewish homeland, whether we have Mashiach or not, and Jews have lived there consistently, and Jews live there. And we have to protect Jewish lives and the Jewish homeland. So I, I, can't, I, I can't defend it, nor do I understand it. I, I, yeah, there, I mean, there, there are some people that are so against secular Zionism, right? So against cutting God out of the picture. So against this idea of 1948 that they say, the heck with the whole thing, right? We're against the whole thing. So that's, that's, that's one angle. Then you have some people that say that, no, that, that, that even, even more, you know, whatever, more, I'm going to say extreme, that, um, that until Mashiach comes to establish a sovereignty is, is like jumping, putting the cart before the horse. Putting the cart before the horse. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but again, I, 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 I hesitate strongly. I hesitate strongly to even explain or just because it's going to sound like I'm justifying and, pre, pre, and maybe put some, oh, so maybe, so I just want to be very clear here. That is not my approach. It's not the Chabad's, Chabad approach. It's not the Rebbe's approach. The Rebbe was one of the greatest advocates and defenders. Chabad is the great. Now, some people said, how come the Rebbe never went to Israel? And the Rebbe had his own reasons for that, which he shared with many people in conversation privately and publicly. That's another conversation. But as far as supporting Israel, you never found a greater supporter than, than the Lubavitcher. I mean, amongst the great supporters was the Rebbe. How many talks, how many fabrengs did the Rebbe lead where he would shout and scream about, I mean, like raise his voice literally with passion about the security of Israel? Every Jewish leader, pre uh, president, and prime minister wrote, wrote to the Rebbe for advice and for blessings. The Rebbe never visited Israel. So people asked him. The Rebbe said in halacha to, to go to Israel and to leave Israel could be questionable if you if you play if you, anyway, whatever it is. So the Rebbe had his own reasons for it. You know, maybe more technical reasons, but but it's uh, but the Rebbe was a staunch supporter of the Holy Land. So, I, I, again, today, the, the objective of today's session is to kind of, you know, things that we all know, but maybe we don't always talk about, to talk about it and to present some verses and some classic teachings and some questions and answers on the topic, but really mainly to, what's the, what's the Lushan, what's the expression to motivate the base? Is that what, is that, is that the, to energize, energize the base? We're energizing the base. That's it. I know I'm preaching to the choir. Nonetheless, we're energizing the base. All right. Questions, comments. Questions, comments. Hold on one second, Steve. Hold on one second, Steve. Hold on. Richard asked before, and I forgot to get back to you. My apologies. Richard, you're on. Two quick things. Two very quickly. What is the status of the two and a half tribes 
That land, I don't believe. It's a great question. I do not believe that that land had the status of the Holy Land, but I could be wrong. My, my, my gut reaction to your question is that it was still considered to be a settlement outside of Israel, not inside of Israel. They didn't go into Israel. Correct. They didn't go into Israel. Correct, correct. I don't believe it had Israel status vis-a-vis Shemitah, Sabbath, year, etc. I don't think it became like that. I could be wrong. I don't believe so, but I'm sh- I know it's discussed. I would have to look it up again. Very we'll have to ask uh, Rabbi Google. Yeah. From, from the Nile to the Euphrates, uh, that's, that's biblical. And the question is, has that been talked about in terms of the Mashiach? The Mashiach speaking of the Mashiach, the Mashiach comes, will we then inherit that between the Euphrates and the Nile? Yeah, well, I, I'll, I'll, I'll give you even more. It says that when Mashiach comes, Israel will spread out across the whole earth. <laughs> now, what does it mean? Hold on, one second. What does it mean? But what, but what does it mean? What it, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that the physical land is going to start like spreading and, 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 and like you know, multiplying physically. It just means that the, that the level of holiness of Israel, that whatever, you know, the Holy Land, right? Whatever sanctity is in Israel currently will be present, will be present throughout. That's, that's the idea. That's the idea. That presence will, will spread. All right, good questions. Mom. I, I wanted to say that um, just to add so, what, to what you said about the Rebbe being a staunch supporter and defender of not just the religious aspects of the state of Israel, but the physical uh, soldiers and government of the state of Israel. Um, in I believe it was... Uh, the wars of attrition, I'm not sure, maybe the 72 Yom Kippur War. I was there, and the rabbi said, he said, he encouraged the generals, he said, go to Damascus, and they didn't. And we see what's going on in the it's a It's a tragedy what's happening, what's been happening in Syria. Had, had the Jews been in charge, I am convinced that this, that, that the Thousands and thousands of people would not have been displaced or died or been attacked by their own government and poison. Right. I'll tell you something. You know, along those lines, um, the Rebbe said that you just reminded me of something that the Rebbe once said, that when we are when we are um, when we are apologetic, when we take a weak stance, when we're like unsure about like, should we really be there or not, that just encourages that perpetuates the fight because the other side perceives, others perceive a weakness mm-hmm. and then say, okay, well, if you don't think you should be there, so then we for sure don't think you should be there, so let's fight. Whereas if there's clarity and there's confidence and it's like, yeah, it's our land, that's it. I mean, it is what it is, right? If there's clarity, it just doesn't mean everyone's going to love it, but at least all right, you know where the, where the room for negotiation is. You know where the wiggle room is. When, when, when the whole thing is wiggle, right? And then the whole thing is wiggle. I just like saying that. I, it's just like when two parents don't agree and the kids don't know where, that, where they are in the world. Like, or like I say always, yeah, exactly, along those lines. I have a parenting example along those lines. So, you know, the kid says, can I have some candy before dinner? I'm like, well, that, 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 that. And the kid's like, well, I really want that. And eventually, you know, sometimes you give and sometimes you don't. 
But what if the kid says, you know, I ate uh, flesh chicks, I ate meat, and now I want milk? It's like, no, you, you, no, you just can't. No, it's, like a, it's, a non, it's not like, well, maybe not, it's not so good. Or, it's like, no, you're just not gonna, it's not going to happen. The kid doesn't negotiate because they know that you mean business. They know that it's a, a no is a no. When, when your no is, uh, then, then already, boom, let's, let's, we're off to negotiations. When the no is no, the no is no. So like, they, they, and, but, but here's really what I wanted to add to that. And, and I'm glad this is coming up now in, this, in, the, in, the, in the post-game report, post-class uh, post report, post-class show. So, because uh, this is very important. The Rebbe said, when Israel is more confident, when we have more self-confidence in, in, in why we're there and who we are and what Israel is, etc., there's more clarity. And listen to this. You're saving Arab lives. Arabs are dying yeah, they're dying because we're messing around with them. Because we're not giving... Right, because we're... Right, that's what I'm, I'm saying. I'm building off what you said. Because we're not giving them a clear answer. Because you're like, yeah, no, yeah, no. It's ours. We're negotiating. Oh, that's it. That's a red line. It's not a red line. It's like, it's what are we doing? It's like, what, what's the... What, the game is hurting them. In other words, if you really care, if you really care about... Arab lives, Palestinian lives, whatever you want to call right, whatever you want to call it, right? Then stop fooling around. Like it doesn't help anyone. All right, that's uh, that's my piece for that. All right, any other questions or comments before we close out? I have a quick one. Yes, yeah, Sarah. Uh, uh, like uh, have, I have no trouble telling another person what I think the truth is, and let's say just to make it not just so personal. A person could be having that conversation, and the other person replies, well, I have my truth. Right. Right. So that still is no obstacle to you putting out your truth. Excellent. Well said. Well said. Right. Well said. We shouldn't be embarrassed for our truth, right? And, and if someone has another truth, all right, you can't stop that. How can you stop right. someone from having their own truth? But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't have a truth. Exactly. I'm, I'm agreeing with you 100%. Just because the other person says, I have a different truth, Good, at least they know that you also have a truth, that your truth is as strong, at least as strong as theirs, if not stronger. In other words, that their conviction is there. Otherwise, they have a truth, and you have, you have a UN resolution. You have, you have uh, a Balfour Declaration. Again, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not mocking these things. I'm just saying that they ultimately don't hold up in the long term. And by the way, I want to add something else, because this is very important. Like, because I've seen today... You t- Again, we're doing this anti-Semitism course, and we're going to talk about Israel next week in Lesson 3. A lot of Jewish youth, a lot of kids, a lot of American teenagers are not on Israel's side. It's, it's, it's a trend. I'm sure I'm not telling you anything new. It's, it's, it's a reality. I'm not saying all the kids. I'm saying there's a, there's, a, there's a decent number of kids, kids that I know, teenagers that came through our Hebrew school, that are posting online a lot of anti-Israel stuff. And you sit down with them and say, wait a second, do you know how important Israel is? The Holocaust, safety, survival. You know what a teenager in 2021 is going to say? Jews are not victims. Jews are not weak, right? They don't see that. So the whole Holocaust card doesn't work anymore. For kids. Are you with me on what I'm trying to say? I'm not saying it's not legit. I'm just saying 
it's not effective because it's not the ultimate truth. That's not why it's a Jewish homeland, right? Doesn't, it doesn't, anyway, all right. I don't mean to belabor the points. All right, I want to wish everybody a good night. Laila Tov. Um, thank you for joining. It's been uh, a, great, uh, a great conversation, I hope. I hope for you as well. And uh, we, should, we should have clarity and confidence and the morale to, uh, to put out the truth for what it is. All right. Have I one quick yes, question? Steve. Um, I'm not aware of any other nation that entertains discussions about its sovereignty. Right. I don't think the Bulgarians do. I, 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 I don't think the... Uh, the Bolivians do. Yep. And why do, and why do we? Right. Now, uh, like, for example, uh, Alabama will frequently use the term the sovereign state of Alabama uh, because perhaps it feels threatened with respect to its sovereignty. So psychologically, why uh, are we... Um, yep entertaining discussions about our sovereignty. Right. Like, if, if you look at Alabama, uh, they sometimes feel threatened by the federal government. Uh, so, uh, so, so the question is, uh, psychologically, why are, we enter why are we entertaining these discussions about yeah, our sovereignty? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. It, I, I would say it's a, it's, a, um, it's a gut check question. In other words, it's a question that we have to ask ourselves. Like, what is it about our position that lends itself to, you know, the discussion. You could say it's anti-Semitism. You know, we could put it out there like that. But, you know, I'm not saying you personally. I'm saying one could say, one could argue that. But I think, I think you know, we, the more confident we are, the less that conversation happens. Um, yeah, there's a lot to talk about in this topic. But, yeah, that's, thank you for raising that point. All right, my friends, I'm going to run. Have a wonderful night. We'll see you guys. Great studying together. Lila Tov. See you soon. Take care, everybody. Made sense? Yeah, makes sense. Good.